Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. Today's show will be coming from the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunities Student Voices Series, ensuring access to rigorous coursework for all students, hosted by Ashley Kazoo, the Associate Director of the Dudley Flood Center. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining the Dudley Flood Center for our Student Voices webinar series. My name is Ashley Kazoo. I am the Associate Director for the Dudley Flood Center and today we will be talking about how we can ensure access to rigorous coursework for all students. Um, and to help us in talking about that topic, we will be joined today by two panels. One is a student-led panel in which you will hear from the student perspective on how we can ensure that they are all reaching their fullest potential through access to rigorous coursework. And then we'll also talk to educators in our second panel about how we can set up our classrooms and our schools to provide this rigorous coursework and support and access for all students. As we've seen the research say that there is underrepresentation of students of color and those from low income backgrounds, what are some of the barriers that you have noticed or seen or experienced yourself in gaining access to rigorous coursework or that you have witnessed your classmates um, go up against in terms of gaining access to coursework? Um, in my school district specifically, it's been pretty difficult for us to obtain those courses. Um, as often when we do apply for them, we're, we either don't get into those courses or we're told that maybe we should reconsider. Um, in my experience, I remember last year when I was applying to be placed in uh, AP English um, for my junior class that I was told that maybe I should consider taking the honors class even though I had an A that previous semester. Have you witnessed in any way that being virtual has impacted that type of challenge in any way? Has it helped improve getting students to access to these rigorous courses or have you seen more students have trouble getting access to these courses? I think the virtual learning has had a huge impact on these advanced classes and advanced placements. Um, for one, it's taking a big toll on kids grades and attendance levels in school. Um, and I think that very much it affects how they get into those courses and really their application to go on to further classes and more advanced placements. And I think that it also is very hard to balance schoolwork during a pandemic and the mental health crisis we currently face. I definitely agree with you, Sianna. And I've actually seen uh, firsthand the statistics of my school. Um, we've seen actually that the, uh, the gap, but the grade gap and the test score gap between uh, students of color and white students has widened in the past year ever since we've been you know, at home schooling. And I think that's currently making, making it even more difficult for students of color to want to pursue those higher level, level courses. Um, and you know, I know this is another topic, but another thing that impacts that is access to resources in order to be able to successfully complete those courses and take those exams. What are some challenges that you have encountered while being enrolled in these classes? I know you mentioned that you were one of the only students of color up into a certain grade. Have you all witnessed any other challenges by being in an advanced placement course? It's like she said, like being the only person of color in classes, like I took math one in uh, English and math, and I was the only Black person, so some challenges I faced was being the only Black person, I really pushed myself harder to do the extra credit and to do more work in these classes because I was basically representing my color in these classes, and that really pushed me to succeed. Yeah, you got to look at representation, and as you said, to begin with, there is low representation of people of color in these um, advanced placement courses. 
And so when um, when you look in classrooms and you don't see many people who are black or Hispanic or Latino or somebody who is not of white ethnicity, uh, you look at them and sometimes people want to assume that, you know, maybe they, they're kind of like, you know, uh, pitied on because people assume that we don't um, have the thought process that other white students do that may think uh, more critically than other people do. I agree 100%, Terrence. And I think another point uh, that I could add to that is that students of color are more likely to join these courses if they see people like them already in these courses. And like you were saying before, I've had a similar experience where we start off in these honors courses and there's only one or two kids that look like us that are in these courses. So we feel like we need to represent the rest of the black students in the school and that we need to put up this kind of facade to make us seem uh, very professional and intelligent. Um, and as we continue to get to higher level courses, there's less and less of us. And that may discourage a lot of students for wanting to pursue, pursue these classes, even when they have the full capability and the full potential to succeed in these courses. How can educators prepare, support, and encourage students to enroll in advanced courses? Pushing um, more and more info out into um, areas, neighborhoods, for instance, that um, don't have the same resources uh, financially and socially um, with um, getting information from schools and from teachers. And so um, they might not be able to access these things because their community may not be so much as up-to-date technology-wise um, with knowing about how to enroll in these um, courses. And so I think a really good tip is, um, for educators is to consider the, the fact that um, some students don't all come from uh, places where there is a free broadband, where broadband is even, um, is even available to be um, um, able to be hooked up. And so um, I advise you know, going into these um, lower funded communities and pushing out the word that you know your child is or has the opportunity to enroll in these courses and they should advise that they take the opportunity of this when um, when they can. Uh, teachers can prepare students to enroll in advanced courses by being transparent with about you know, the, uh, the workload and topics they'll be dealing with and this allows for students to have a clear understanding of what they're signing up for. And also teachers can support and encourage students to enroll in advanced courses by creating an environment that is open for any race or member in the classroom. Do you feel connected in these classes? Do you feel engaged in these classes? Do you feel like your teachers in advanced coursework have a different level of engagement than those in um, your standard classes? Most of my advanced teachers have been disconnected from their students and go through the motions with them because they think their intelligence level should be able to push them through the course without the guidance of a teacher. Whereas in lower classes or regular um, education classes, teachers are very connected with our students and they make them feel known and welcomed and um, they guide them through the coursework. And I think that could also be a big issue touching on the topic of intimidation into these bigger classes, because if you're not intelligent enough to be pushed through on your own, then you're not going to make it. You know, we do have advanced placement courses, and that is great. Um, but we want to make sure that all of our students are being encouraged and challenged to reach their fullest potential. So what advice would you give to teachers in order to make that happen in the classroom? So my advice is for them to take whatever they taught and explain it to their students how it applies to real world, real world situations and experiences. This makes students take complex material and think about it in a more authentic setting and like 
you know, nowadays, you know, teachers teach the material, but don't really apply it to how it can, you know, how students can apply and use it in their, um, in their life. A way you can tell um, if your students are being pushed to think critically in all of their courses and not just AP courses is um, to look at um, if they are stagnant, if they are being complacent in, in what they want to learn and what they're open to learning and also what their grades are like. Do you see if they're growing? Do you see if they're failing? Um, and so if you see that they are being complacent in what they want to learn and you see that they are not really responding well to um, the questions that are being asked, um, especially if they are consistently asked questions that have been asked over and over again that are off of the same curriculum and off of the same of what they are learning continuously, um, that can tell if they are being pushed or not to think more critically. I think adding on to that, another way to ensure that students do retain these, this information is when they get to start a dialogue. I feel that I tend to learn material best when I get to discuss my ideas with my peers and get to hear different sides and different perspectives. Another big thing we need to focus on is to stop drawing a line between so-called academically gifted kids and regular students because I think when teachers do that, they create a stigma that once you're academically gifted, you can't go back. And if you are not academically gifted, you cannot work your way up the chain of intelligence. I think setting a welcoming climate is a great thing. Uh, just, you know, being encouraging and being smiling and making sure, you know, you're checking on in on the students is great. Um, as well as the appearance of the classroom. Um, just having some, you know, happy signs and I don't know, happy colors that can set a climate. Um, is a great thing. I can personally speak to where I've been in a history class where my teacher had both a Confederate and a back the blue flag on the wall. And I'm sure you can imagine that that climate was not comfortable uh, for someone who looked like me uh, when we stepped into that classroom. Uh, yeah, teachers, I mean, you can just be just embracing of everybody. I mean, it even goes back to simply, um, in my personal experience, it's simply just body language. I mean, um, I've seen in my time where I had a teacher who, you know, the white students came in, you know, she was all happy and she was just ready to talk to them. But, you know, when somebody who looked like me came in, it was just like, oh, okay, hi, how are you? You know, like it was never any like peppiness or, you know, no excitement rather to see me rather than seeing the white students. What is your response or what has been the response or that you've witnessed from other students when a teacher or educator suggest that you should not take advanced placement courses. What is the response there? I have somebody, a teacher has told me to, that I could not take a AP course or take a course like this. And my response was to prove them wrong. I've seen a lot of my friends and people not do that and let it get to them and inevitably stop taking the courses, but I have always wanted to be or do something more with my life. So once I feel like when somebody tell me I can't do something, it makes me want to do something even more. I wanted to speak to this because I have had an experience with a counselor where, like I was talking about earlier, where they thought I should reconsider being placed in an advanced placement course. And so I just went to another counselor. <laughs> you know, you just, just find people that you know will you know, encourage you and you know who will back you up in whatever decision you make. Um, and to that point, I also wanted to speak to microaggressions because there, I remember freshman year of high school, um, I went to honors biology class um, and I was there for meet the teacher day. Um, and I told my teacher like, I'm in your first period class. And she goes, maybe you wanna check your schedule again because that's the honors class. 
and I showed her the schedule and I was like, I am in your first period class and I wanted to make that clear. So just standing your ground um, and making sure that you, you stick to what you know you can do and just, you know, the people that you keep around you are those how, are you, who you know are going to advocate for you and who you know are going to encourage you to pursue what you want to do. After the break, we will hear from our educators about how we can implement different strategies and programs in our schools and classrooms to ensure that all students have access to rigorous coursework. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back everyone and thank you again for joining the Delhi Flood Center as we talk about how we can ensure rigorous coursework and access to rigorous coursework for all students. Now we'll be joined by educators across North Carolina to hear about how we can implement strategies and programs in schools and classrooms to ensure access and support for students in taking rigorous coursework. What are some common state policies and practices that you utilized or witnessed in, in identifying students for gifted or advanced courses? Across the state, we have several key pieces of policy or legislation that really support this work in, in this area. Um, and that give us kind of a framework for improvement and expectations, but also honor local context and flexibility. The first of those really is Article 9B, which is the legislation that really is about how do we identify and serve academically or intellectually gifted students in our state. You know, while uh, we're at the state level trying to create systems that are not systems that are exclusive, That's we're right. trying to create systems that, that don't pre you know, provide barriers. And one of the great things about Article 9B is that it allows local flexibility. So there is no state requirement for identification. That's it right. is um, each district's um, opportunity, I'd say, right. to, to figure out what is going to work in their local context. Dr. Bullock, if you could just say, you know, what are the ways in which students are identified in your district? So in second grade in our district, we, we screen kids across the board. Any student that's enrolled in our school system um, it has the opportunity to go through a universal screening process. And that, that is one of the ways in which we advance um, diversity in our AIG program. Um, our director, Ms. Laura Parrott, uh, oversees that process. And that's one of the things that we have seen that um, has, has just given us a lot of growth in that area. Um, when it comes to high school, we do a lot of work around advocating for um, diversifying our advanced level classes, you know, starting with honors, but also, of course, thinking about AP and IB, um, and even uh, opportunities to take college level classes too, like making sure that that opportunity and that access to that opportunity is as widespread as possible. What are the barriers that you have witnessed your students face? in getting access to those courses? I think one of the first things is communication. Uh, when I talk with a lot of my students uh, in my standard level courses, as well as students in other standard level courses, uh, a lot of them honestly don't even know what AP is. Uh, they didn't even know about the opportunity and it's not told to them. Uh, so really, the, the, I think one of the first steps is allowing the student to be an advocate for their, uh, for their own pathway, which is what's said by one of those talented students in the panel before, which was uh, amazing. And that panel was uh, mind blowing and, and yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, so the communication aspect uh, also, honestly, language, um, as far as continuously say you are gifted, you are smart, you are intelligent versus something that can be, uh, can be acquired. Something that, you know, for example, like work ethic. Uh, 
and where you are encouraging them to think beyond it. It's just something that you were born with versus something that you can actually work for. Uh, so a lot of students, you know, hearing that continuously, you know, every single grade that passes where they're not identified as gifted or smart or intelligent or not hearing the certain adjectives to describe them, that confidence, uh, you know, lowers every single year that, that goes on. So kind of changing a little bit of the language where we kind of encourage students to be more inquisitive, enthusiastic, advocates for themselves to, to work harder, uh, you know, to work on their skill set uh, is going to be, you know, pretty crucial. Dr. Bullock, will you please weigh in and just tell us what are some barriers that you have witnessed in your district? In education in general, we often create artificial barriers that keep kids out of classes that we, we really need to eliminate. And so an artificial barrier may be you need to have a 90 in a in like a grade of a 90 in a previous class to enroll in an honors class that is very arbitrary and what goes into that grade that we're looking for um you know was that a grade based on work ethic was that a grade based on a child's behavior um you know and so we put these um we put sometimes we put criteria up or barriers up that just um really give no indication of a student's success in a future class. And so if I'm a student who may may have struggled historically in a standard level class due to lack of engagement, and I'm looking to participate in something more rigorous, something more challenging, you know, now my challenges from a previous class are preventing me from enrolling in something more challenging. And I think just generally speaking, we need to use data to be inclusive. And I think Ms. Cross spoke about that a little bit earlier. What are the ways in which schools and districts can support and encourage parents to advocate for their students' needs? You know, we always talk about um, as parents are needing to advocate for their students, really starting as local as possible. So bringing in that school, bringing in those parents to provide those opportunities. So, you know, whether it's, you know, some schools out there that have parent university nights, right? Well, they bring in parents and they have information sessions just for them. Of course, that was pre-COVID. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure they're doing virtual parent university nights right now, but again, helping them to know the why and understand how this will benefit their student. We think that's hugely important. And then also helping parents to help their students make the connections. There are so many opportunities that are available to our students today. So thinking about really intentionally, what are um, my interests and passions, what I want to do here in high school, but beyond, and how can I tap into these programs and opportunities so that I can get to that place. But what advice do you all have for educators in preparing and supporting students and providing access to rigorous coursework? One is to really uh, reflect on your own implicit biases. Uh, I think that that's, that's first. I think um, they also um, need to know that students can receive the same content, or it's not about receiving the same content at the same time at the same pace. It's about personalized learning, which can be overwhelming, I think. So it's about um, you don't have to do this on your own. Most of our, our districts in North Carolina have professional learning communities, other educators for you to, for you to lean on, and a specialist in the school. And then also with that first part, the, there may be an equity team at the school. I think it, it's, it's about being that lifelong learner that we all went into teaching 
to, to talk to our students about being, and we've got to, to um, do that as well. Um, and it's about recognizing students who come with easily recognizable gifts and talents, um, and that, that's fine, but it's about being a talent scout that we've mentioned earlier and intentionally creating environments to recognize and develop talents in those who are not yet tapped. We know based off the data that we have a huge opportunity gap based off of race and based off of, uh, and based off of uh, people that have been playing generation after generation with poverty. And we have to understand that data is not coincidental, data is consequential. And, it's con and it is a consequence of a system that was designed this way, right? So um, in order to, to fight for these uh, issues of equity, we have to recognize that students don't come from the same backgrounds, they don't have the same experiences, and they don't have necessarily the, the same set of skills and talent. However, so many students have different levels of potential. So I think one of the first things that all teachers have to be willing to do is have that difficult conversation. And I, I was just seeing it uh, in the chat and I just really wanted to address it. Yeah, we have to have the difficult conversation of, of the role that race has played within uh, recommending recommending kids for AIG or for these honors level courses. Like Ms. Morgan Lopez had said in the student panel, when she had went into her class and the students said, I, you might need to rethink your schedule because I don't think you're in there. And it was only based, I mean, we can assume it was only based obviously off of her race because it's the only thing that the teacher knew about that student. And so therefore we have to have, the first thing is that these teachers have to have difficult conversations and the schools in general have to have it. We have to acknowledge the role that we play in the inequities we see. So, but the only way we're going to see those inequities is to look. We have to look and see how is how is racial inequity, class inequity, whatever manifesting in our school on our watch. And while we can't own all of the inequity that may happen in our school due to outside factors, we have to own the part that we play in the inequity and the disparities. And so honestly, we all included, me included, have to be able to identify what I'm doing to close gaps and how some of my practices may actually be widening gaps. And where I see that some of my practices may be widening those gaps, I have to change those practices so that we're increasing opportunities for students. We're closing that access gap to advanced academics and just making sure that the work that we are doing is done intentionally to um, increase and improve outcomes for our most marginalized students. Thinking about these students, changing first our mindsets and looking at them as students at potential, not at risk, because these kids are not coming to us as empty vessels. They do have strengths and they do have a lot for us to tap into to really reach students. And so um, just really thinking about that, but, but also thinking about mindsets and policy and practice. It really takes all of those things together for us to continue to move forward. And I can just remember um, not really thinking so much about the policy, you know, that seems kind of dry and, you know, not as interesting, um, but it's policy that really has an opportunity to help us move forward leaps and bounds because that then we're all held to and we don't aren't so dependent on a single educator here or there willing to have the conversation and willing to step up and advocate right it's it levels the playing field in so many ways so that that just that that mindset's going to get us 
huge steps forward, adding that to that, the policy, and then also our practices. We think all of those things together, that's gonna to help us create systems that do help us improve outcomes for students. Thank you all for joining us again. And we wanna send a special thank you to our panelists, our students and our educators for joining us today to discuss this topic. And we wanna send another special thank you to all of you for taking an interest in education. That's all for this week. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs>